0: Welcome to the Parent Toolbox Podcast from the Inventive Minds Child Youth and Family Center. We are a not-for-profit organization helping families with day-to-day parenting ups and downs from expectancy to teen.
1: Today's workshop topic, how to help teens and youth deal with divorce, and Separation hosted by myself, of course, Adam Stavis, your youth development mentor and coach. Inventive Minds Child Youth and Family Support Center is a not-for-profit organization helping families, provides parenting courses and mediation for families going through divorce, helps families by creating parenting plans, child support, espousal support, and asset evaluation. They also carry a variety of parenting group support and baby group programs to get involved with. Connect with their therapist and practitioner for day-to-day parenting challenges. Today, we have the awesome Allison Schaefer. We are excited to have her here so
0: yay! Nice to be here. Hi everybody. Awesome. Yes.
1: <laughs> Allison Schaefer is a Adlerian family counselor, author and international acclaimed expert who empowers families by sharing her principles, rules and tools for raising cooperative and resilient kids. Allison's education background includes a B.S.C. and M.A. counseling, O.A.C.C.P.P., Masters of Arts counseling from the Adler School of Chicago and an honors bachelor of science from the University of Waterloo. Very impressive. Allison is also an international TEDx speaker. Very cool. And an international best-selling author of three parenting books published by HarperCollins Canada. Breaking the good mom myth, hold it up. Yeah, hold it up. Honey, I like it, honey, I wrecked the kid. So let's get things started. To clarify, I am a youth development coach, and I am not a licensed medical doctor. If you believe that you or anyone you know, needs the help of a licensed medical doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, master's in family and child counseling, or a master's in social work, do speak with your family doctor, local walk in clinic or hospital. Um, Let me first of all, if you could please share a little bit about yourself and your background.
0: Yeah, sure. So, so yes, I am Adlerian, named after Alfred Adler. He was a colleague of Sigmund Freud and Carl Jung. So they are really the three intellectual sparring partners that brought modern psychology to the fore. I'm the third generation in my family to be trained in Adlerian psychology to teach Adlerian parenting classes, and my family kind of got the movement started here in Ontario and actually helped found the Adler School where I where I got my degree. So I was raised in, with all these principles, and yet having said that, I didn't know my family was different or unique until I became a mom and then had to try to figure out how to parent my own kids. And I started going back through my parents and grandparents material and just like learned all this stuff and changed my whole life, changed my career, stopped doing what I was doing, went back to school, got my master's. And so since then it's been teaching other parents, teaching courses. I worked in an Adlerian nursery school. I helped open two Adlerian nursery schools in North Toronto. Um, I do a lot of media work. I'm a regular on Maryland Dennis, Global Morning, Global Morning News. I speak internationally. My books have been translated into multiple uh, languages as well. And oh, I have a wonderful new podcast. It's Appreciate. called Parenting the Adlerian Way and you can get it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And part of that is it's got a Q&A feature. So you can always jump on the podcast or you can submit a question and I can answer them on the podcast anonymously. And I also do a Facebook Live every Thursday where you can just jump on from 12 to 12.30 and pop your question in there. So I'm uh, just trying to make as much help available to parents as possible. The premise of it is, it's the idea that we need to raise kids that are cooperative, that have an intrinsic motivation to do right, do good, get along with their fellow human, rather than an obedience model, which has been our North American tradition, to mind my will, do as I say, that creates all kinds of... um, (laughs) <laughs> problems. It can feel great for parents in the short term, but it has all kinds of downsides. So this is how do you win the cooperation of a child? How do you raise a really cooperative human being? Because if you can get along with other people, that mm. is going to be the pillar for good mental health in your marriages, in your workplace, you know, in your own family. Right. That's what's going to keep you strong. It all starts at home.
1: Helping them understand the benefits of being agreeable.
0: Not like to get walked over or not to be pleasing, right. but just the inherent give and take of living in a group, you know, you right. don't always get your way. So you got to right. do things for other people. Right.
1: Yeah. Very true. Second question here, of course, is separation. and Divorce is a very hard topic and an emotional time for parents. Please share with us how as parents, we can help ourselves on a day-to-day basis when going through separation.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, just to disclose I am divorced. I divorced when my kids were in grade 9 and 10, so I've I've been on this journey. It's a very stressful time. It's quite drawn out by the time you actually go through trying to figure out if you are going to get divorced and then telling the kids, and then you got to separate everything. The stress is really unabating for quite a while. To your point, we really do need to have good self-care because our kids are going to look to us And they're going to see if the parents are doing okay, the kids will do okay. Even though it's stressful, you have to treat it quite seriously in how you're going to look after yourself. And so like any other stress reduction, you double down on the basics. you really got to make sure you're sleeping. You really got to make sure you've got good nutrition. You really got to make sure you're getting out and having good exercise. I would just get those basics. Down, those are going to be helpful, but also finding community, finding other people, whether your posse of friends that you can talk to, or whether it's going online and finding a Facebook group, or you know your organization that has classes and ways for parents to come together that are at this same age and stage of life, because you're going to really feel felt. You're going to feel like somebody knows what I'm talking about when I have this distress. They're going to answer questions in a way that it's going to resonate with you better because they're on that journey with you too. That's like peer-to-peer support. And there are professionals that can help you navigate that. I did put on a brave face for my kids, and I learned the fine art of crawling into the bathtub like just submerging so only my nose was sticking out so I could cry underwater uh, because I didn't want them to see me crying maybe maybe you do it in the shower I tried to put on a really strong strong face and kind of hold it together and then I would find my places where I could have privacy and and let my tears out and you do need to let your tears out
1: okay perfect wonderful there's sort of three pillars if I'm getting this correctly there's one involving yourself in specific self-care things that you're just doing on your own outside from what you do with other people something that you're just doing for yourself and then there's being in involved in social circles with people that can understand where you're coming from because maybe they've been through the same things as you so they can have that empathy they can really put themselves in your shoes because they're either going through it themselves or they've already been through it and then on top of that having somebody of a professional nature that has a background in helping people guide them through these difficult times uh, having those three elements in there is really key having just one is good having two is great having three is ideal if i'm getting this correct
0: yeah yeah you know, I'm so glad that we are in 2021, where we've really normalized the need for um, mental health support. That, mm-hmm. Like that's like, it used to be quite a shameful thing. And uh, like, you know, aren't you, why do you need help? Yeah, you know, can't yeah. you manage this on your own? Yeah. And we've really, we've dropped the stigma of that. You know, yeah. people understand there is no shame in getting help and do not delay. You do not need to suffer more than you're already suffering.
1: If you look at some of the influential or as more successful people in the world, all of them have people that mentor them. Bill Gates has people. To mentor him has a team of people to help him see things that he can't see in terms of business if tony robbins he's got a, a series of professional psychiatrists and psychologists that he works with so if highly successful people are doing that then they obviously understand something that is really vital for all of us it's really important to have somebody who is highly educated highly experienced in a particular area, it doesn't matter what you're doing. You can rely on them. You can take a lot of weight off your shoulders. You can skip a lot of steps, things that might take you 10 years to figure out. You can just figure out now because you're working with somebody that has that level of experience and knowledge.
0: Yeah, I really think it was a great day when Michelle Obama shared that her and Barack were in marriage counseling. What a great voice to normalize that, yeah, you got issues, you go to a professional who's gonna help you. And, yeah. and it's unrealistic to think that you're gonna be in a human relationship and that you're not gonna have conflict. It's what you do with it that that is important. So yeah, Yeah, there are professionals out there seek them out.
1: Okay, great. So let's go on to the next question here. Can you expand please on how we can support our children's emotional health during these times now?
0: The same kind of things that I said about with adults, the eat, sleep, all that good stuff is going to help them with their mental health. But I think a big thing is to understand that they're processing this. They're trying to figure out what does this mean to me? How does this impact me? The more that you can keep dialogue going with kids. Yeah, it's great if you feel that you need to go see a therapist, but there's a lot that can just be done by not having secrets, by not holding it in by expressing emotions and a lot of that can through conversation to continue to invite them into a dialogue. You know, how are you doing? How are you feeling? You got any questions? How are you making out now? How are you adjusting? Just little check-ins, 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 check-ins. Otherwise there can be like a buildup. It's almost like plaque on your teeth it accumulates and accumulates and there's resentments and untold feelings and pains and hurts. Eventually it'll rot the tooth. It'll rot the relationship. It'll catch up with you eventually. So mm. that needing to clean it up is to get it out there, have those conversations, get the clarity that kid needs.
1: What about the- Reluctant child or the child that might feel interrogated.
0: So, we have to really pay attention to how we talk to children. I talk about three different listening levels, and really, it's much more about listening than it is about talking. We really want to listen to our kids. They don't necessarily need problem solving, which we do too much. We rush in and try to fix things right away. They just need to talk. Level one listening is when you come in and to your point, you've got an agenda, you just want to like drag it home. You're just like, look, I've had enough of this attitude. You know, it's been three months. Stop whining about your dad not being here. We come in with our like agenda of what we want to get done and accomplished. Level two listening is we're listening, but we're kind of like, yeah, uh uh-huh, uh uh-huh, because we're composing our rebuttal. So we're not really listening. We're still more interested in our own point. We see mm-hmm. things through our point of view. So we're not completely open. And so the third one is that third deep level listening is arriving with no agenda, being open to trying to see inside the world of your child. If I was this kid in this family and this time with this going on, you know, what would that be like to, to really get and understand them, not change them, not correct them, not defend your position. And it's a very different experience. So mm. I think to, to learn to be a good listener is really important there.
1: Great, I like that. But I'm wondering if this is a, a tool that you agree with when you're listening to somebody to help make sure that you're really on the same page with them and that they understand that you're trying to empathize with them, even though you might be struggling to, is just simply trying to identify the, an emotion that they might be trying to explain. Like even if they're just saying stuff, trying to say things like, um, it sounds like you're really X about like a relief. Really it sounds like you're really frustrated about that. Or it sounds like you're really upset about that. And then that gives them the opportunity to say, you know, yeah, you're right. Or no, no, that's not how I feel. And then they can kind of kind of correct you on it and it gets them speaking more, which is weirdly really what you want. Am I right in saying that?
0: It's very, very accurate. Just to jump on the importance of naming one emotion. First of all, for kids, we know that they're not good at naming their emotions. They kind of know I'm happy or I'm mad. Frustrated is different than disappointed, is different than challenged, is different than defeated. It's like, there's so many emotional words. The bigger a child's lexicon is, the language to tag those it allows them to process them better to your point you need to supply them so that their lexicon gets bigger and we need to allow them to correct us um so that that they're like no that's not quite it that's not quite it that's not how i'm feeling then you've got that clarification so that finally when you've paraphrased it and you've named the proper emotion the end result is that the child feels understood feeling understood is a really great way to strengthen a bond and most of our tweens teens it's one of the number one complaints that I get in therapy. Sure, hmm. my parents hang out with me. Sure, my parents, you know, are around. Sure, we talk, but they don't get me. They don't know me. They don't. They don't know what's going on in here. And so there's a real missed opportunity there if we don't uh, learn that skill.
1: Hmm. Okay, wonderful. As you're aware, there are four main parenting styles. You expand on those styles and the effect it can have on a child who's going through separation and divorce.
0: So I usually think of three parenting styles. There's different nomenclatures depending on who you read. If you read Barbara Coloroso, if you go back to some of the original research on leadership styles that came out of the military, but the way I think about it is I'm going to use Barbara Coloroso because I think it's very visual. She talks about backbone parenting. Backbone parenting is when you are both firm and friendly, just like your spine holds you upright and you can flex, right? So there's structure, but there's flexibility. I call that democratic parenting in my language, firm and friendly parenting. Another style is when you're very firm, but you don't have very much friendliness. And this is the autocratic, this is ruling with the iron fist. And this is much more that autocratic, superior domination style of parenting. Do as I say, because I said so, and the parent owns all the control. The last one is more like that doormat or the jellyfish, Barbara Calarasso calls it, where the kids actually have all the power and they're walking all over you. Mm-hmm. That is not respectful either. You know, I like being in mutually respectful relationships. Fourth one I would say is is benign neglect, where you're neither firm nor friendly. You've, you've kind of just checked out, not doing your job. And that can happen with people with mental health issues, addiction issues, etc. So those are the four kinds. So I think that when we have democratic or mutually respectful parenting, and you're going through separation and divorce, The child feels the appropriate amount of support that the parents are, although not together, there is strong leadership at the helm. And because there's mutual respect, children feel a sense that they are able to express their feelings and talk to the leaders in the family. When you have the ruling with the iron fist, do it because I say so, the response from kids tends to be fear. When you are fearful of your parent, you are going to be less likely to want to open up and be genuine and authentic because you're far more worried about their judgment, about how they're going to evaluate you that you're going to be penalized or punished for it. You tend to uh, be more isolating in a way So you're either going to be outwardly defiant and be a rebel, or you're going to try to avoid getting in trouble with them by sneaking and cheating. That's not helpful when you want to be guiding a child. And then the third, which people seem to like, but don't realize it's problematic is you can become like an incredible pleaser. You're just like, oh my gosh, there's been a divorce. He's a mean guy or she's a mean mom. I better please, 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 because I want to try to make things better. And we should never put caregiving responsibilities on a child. We need to be the adults in the family. We should never have our kids emotionally caregiving us. And then jellyfish is very chaotic. Kids don't feel contained. When you have come from a chaotic household like that, it's kind of kids gone wild. You would think that they would love the freedom, but it's actually psychologically disturbing to not have limits and boundaries and to not be able to count on a parent. We see this flipping of the inversion of the relationship where the child starts looking after the non-functioning parent and they get an entitled attitude. They start feeling deserving and they start moaning about what they deserve and why they're not getting it. They can be acting out or they can be acting in. Some kids don't express it, some kids are just dying quietly inside. And you have to watch for those quiet introvert sufferers okay, wow, as well. Okay, a
1: lot of really amazing points to be aware of to to help us be more aware of ourselves and our parenting styles. Uh, really important to be aware of those concepts.
0: We sort of default to a style that fits our personality. But it's not uncommon for someone to be really permissive in the morning and you know, okay, fine, wear whatever you want. I don't care. I'm not going to fight this battle. And then have their backups against the wall. They like you are absolutely going to bed right now. This is your career. So we can be a bit of both. It's not right. pure science here. Yeah.
1: It's good to clarify that. So, what is the best way to inform our children that we are no longer living together? as a couple.
0: So the golden rule here, and again, this is we're going for optimal, the optimal is if you can tell them together, meaning you want both the parents in the room at the same time, so that the message is coming from both of them. So there's a sense again, that that we've talked that we're both in agreement, that this is what we've decided together, and we're happy with the decision that we made, we want to see that kind of unity in the message, even though the house is is now going to be a two household arrangement, they still need to feel leadership is strong, that's psychologically super important important for them. And you want to tell the kids at the same time. You don't want them to hear it from a kid at the school. You don't want to hear like, well, how come mom told the older sibling first and I didn't hear till three days later? You want to have a conversation in advance about what are some of the things that they're probably most likely going to want to know and do we have some answers prepared for that? They might be looking for an apartment or trying to decide are we going to have to sell the house or are we going to have to sell the cottage? You wouldn't be able to get everything organized, but kids are going to want to know basic things like, am I still going to the same school? They do not want to be ripped apart from their social group. You Need to think about a few things about just sort of like location, school, those kind of big changes that are going to impact them socially, and have some kind of an idea so that they know, and they're not waiting and wondering how that's going to look. And you might want to know what the visitation schedule is: how many days at dad's, how many days at the other partner's house. So again, do you have it all hammered out? No. Can you make changes to a parenting plan? Yes. But they need to be able to envision what the new world order is. They mm-hmm. need to have something to start organizing. What's this going to look like?
1: But I would imagine because it can be a situation where there might be disagreements between two parents as to what the answers to some of those questions may be. And again, tell me if I'm wrong in saying this, but it may be important to take the questions in, necessarily address them immediately, say, you know what? Those are really great questions. We need to actually discuss that. And then we can have another discussion together and then address them at that point.
0: I agree. And especially when we're talking with older kids, there's a certain age in which they actually do have decision-making power, you know, where they're gonna live. And if they don't like the agreements, they're old enough to just walk out the door. and always being able to say, you have a voice in this family, I want to hear what you have to say. Your opinions matter to me. I'm going to listen deeply to your point of view. We're going to take all of that into consideration. Your interests are part of our discussions around how this is going to look and we might not all get exactly the things that we wanted, but obviously we're going to take your care into consideration. We we love you. It would be inappropriate to sit back and expect a kid to pick their own school. It's too overwhelming. I wouldn't ask a kid, should we go fixed rate or variable on our mortgage? But I would say, hey, listen, you're the one that has to go to this school. so. Uh, make sure that it, it aligns but the final decision it comes down to parents
1: kids input is is huge i believe definitely yeah, yeah. what are some signs that a youth or team may show uh, that is exhibiting emotional issues during separation divorce and then what should parents do about those
0: the general rule is Do you notice a change from baseline functioning? Eating and sleeping are those basic biologies that tend to go off the rails when we are experiencing any mental stress. You know your kid best. So you're like, why are they suddenly not sleeping? Why are they suddenly sleeping a lot. Why are they suddenly not eating? Why are they suddenly eating tons? But changes in behavior too. Anxious behavior can be, well you would see more like self-soothing. Are they binge watching Grey's Anatomy because they just want to like tune out of the the world? Are they isolating in their bedroom? Are they suddenly chewing their nails? My daughter, her eczema would flare up whenever she had stress. I could just look at her hands and, say, "Oh my gosh, she must be under stress. Look at your eczema." Not finding joy in doing the things that they used to do before, you know. I don't want to go to hockey. I don't want to see my friends. Like if they're just in a rage around you all the time or irritable all the time and it's unabating. If it's hurting family relationships or they're not able to get along with their teachers, or they're not, can't get their schoolwork done. You know, those are all signs that they're in pretty high distress. Checking in with them and seeing whether they'll talk about it. And there's high disclosing kids who are happy to talk. Yeah, I'm still mad. And then there's other kids who are like, nope, fine. Fine, but meanwhile, you know they got a burning ulcer. So those kids are Mm -hmm. low disclosures, and they're a lot harder to reach. But I tell parents one thing with those low disclosures is you can teach them to journal. You can burn the journal, you can burn the page after, and no one has to see them. No one has to see them. Just turning your thoughts into language does help kids process them. I
1: like that idea a lot.
0: Give them the the text connect to six eight six eight six eight, which is Kids Helpline. Kids Hmm. text all the time. It's anonymous. Then they can at least talk to an anonymous counselor, get a thought off their mind, and to take mm. a worry off.
1: There's one app that I've recommended for older children called Seven Cups. So you can look into that as well, where you can speak mm-hmm. anonymously to people and they'll just listen to you and they'll just be there for you. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. That also could be a little bit of an option too. Yeah. I'm
0: going to check that out. Thank you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Next, if a child is feeling guilty or she he uh, blames him or herself for the divorce, how can we address that as a parent?
0: With younger kids, we have something called magical thinking. They have an egocentric understanding of the world. If they had a bad thought about grandma and then the neighbor barbecue blows up, they go, that must've been because I said that bad thing about grandma. They just naturally make everything personal. It's just the way a young brain works. Now, as you get older, that's less likely to happen because they develop and get more sophisticated thinking. But that's not to say that if you've been fighting about parenting or in front of the kids or whatever that you still feel a kid might still even in their adolescent years feel like this was on me. I broke them apart. Sadly, when we look at some of the histories of teens that are suicidal, they'll often say I wanted to kill myself because I didn't want to burden my family anymore. I was the problem. Farthest thing from the truth, right? We want kids alive. It's a common phenomenon. You can even say that you say, you know, a lot of kids feel that way. This is an adult issue. You can say, I am so sorry that you feel that way. And and maybe one of our issues that was unresolved and and one of the irreconcilable differences, uh, that's a contributing factor to to us deciding to separate is that we couldn't solve our problems. And maybe parenting was one of them, but that was about us solving problems. That wasn't about you. Mm -hmm. And I guess you just have to say it enough until they really believe it.
1: Uh, Repetition is key. Any tips for parents that are co-parenting to help their children during these difficult times?
0: What happens at your home is what happens at your home. They need consistency in each household. They don't need consistency between two households. You do not need to necessarily get on the same page. You can have two different homes with two different tech agreements. You can have two different homes with two different curfews. You can have two different homes with two different homework policies. Kids will get used to that. Never use kids as the messenger. Well, you tell your mother that I am not paying the next child support if she's gonna blah, blah, Don't use the kids as messengers. You want both homes to feel like a home to the kids. Hmm. So their bedrooms should have stuff. You don't wanna be that kind of, it feels like one house is my home and the other one just sort of has like a blanket on the couch for me. Try to find a way to decorate and that they're important enough that you set up rooms for them that they can help decorate and and feel just as at home in. Uh, Don't smack talk the other parent and don't triangulate. If they complain about the other parent, you can just say, I'm really sorry you're having trouble with your mom. I'm I'm sure you two can work that out. If you have a a low conflict divorce and you can sort of talk regularly, text regularly and work through some of the who's doing pick up, who's going to the school concert, figuring out do you think camp's a good idea this year. You're going to be co-parenting. Some people think they're going to get divorced and the conflict in the relationship is going to end, it it actually tends to get more difficult. Mm. Those patterns of interacting, if you didn't get them resolved in the marriage, those patterns of interacting are going to continue with your co-parenting. So it's just really about rising up and being adult about it and really thinking kids first, kids first, kids first, and letting our own ego down.
1: What if it's a situation where the child really wants you to get involved somehow and you're trying to say, listen, like there's there's not much I can do? Like, how do you navigate that conversation in a way that's not going to really upset your child further?
0: What I'm suggesting is not that we abandon them, what I'm saying is I'm not gonna be the substitute person to fight their battles. You can't delegate a relationship first of all knowing that they have come to you with this frustration and you say thank you very much for telling me i really appreciate that you trust me with the stuff that's going on in your life uh, i want to be there for you i want to help you i want to support you um i can't fight your battles but i can empower you to speak up have you tried this approach have you tried that approach you know what if you wrote him a note but you don't want to just step in and say he said what no right. i'll get on the phone with him right away <laughs> right. you know coaching and teaching and empowering our kids to navigate the relationship with parent that the child's having difficulty with.
1: Very, very good advice. Uh, What are the benefits of parenting plans for families that are separated and the inclusion of a child?
0: But the nice thing about having a parenting plan is it really stops you from having these ongoing, difficult, often contentious conversations that really end up deteriorating into fighting in a time of calm to sit down and say, look, let's just map out all the holidays this year. So I don't have to call you every Friday and say, where are the kids now? Do you want them? Do I want you know, can I ask for this or that?" It just keeps and stirs up so much stuff that if you just have a plan and you work out the plan and then you expedite the plan, you really can almost never have to talk to your spouse again. I would hope that you would have an amicable divorce, but I know that is often not the case. And it can just be very painful to have to speak uh, to your spouse. So to have that plan in place, it makes everything clear. And it also makes it clear to the kids that the kids have expectations and they understand. Where am I going to be for Easter? What am I doing for summer? Am I going to camp or not? When am I going to see dad? When am I seeing you? Right down to who pays for what? You don't want to be on the phone with your ex saying, well, you know, we went off to this tournament and I bought the tournament jacket. It was $200, you owe me half of that they're like, I didn't say I was willing to pay a hundred dollars for a jacket. Don't speak for my money. Now you're into another fight. These things just keep wounds open. We don't need the toxicity and the hostility that comes with all of that. Mm -hmm. So a plan is great.
1: Excellent. Could you discuss with us the benefits of using family mediation during separation?
0: There's a wonderful book called Tug of War that was written by a a court justice who does family court. He makes the big case, do not bring your family to me. I don't know you. I have to decide for you. You lose control of the process. It's very rigid. It has to go through all the prescribed laws. It's very expensive and you're very powerless. When you have a mediator, on the other hand, it's going to be less expensive. It's going to be custom to your family. You can be creative with what you arrange. You still have to have a lawyer sign off. on I I had, when you do your final documents, each of you have to have independent law counsel. So it's not as if you're completely off the hook. Someone's going to make sure that you're represented, not getting walked on or not being treated unfairly in that way. It's just trying to be more conversational, more, it is, let's roll up our sleeves and solve these problems together. And you've got somebody who's trained in how to solve problems. Somebody who's trained in bringing together people that are polarized or divisive. So I think it's a great way to go.
1: I love that idea. The idea of driving down price is a huge selling point.
0: It's amazing how much money, I I really don't think people understand. I heard somebody quote, one of the things that they wanted to implement was their ex who drank. They wanted them on a breathalyzer test because they were worried that they were driving and drinking with the kids and not a competent caregiver. Mm. And to get that breathalyzer, $20,000, wouldn't it be nicer to take $20,000 and take your kids on a safari in Africa or put it into an education fund it's so much money and does actually drive some people into hardship and of course and people can use that as a negotiating point well she doesn't have the money to take me back to court so I'm going to win on this which can be terrible too it's very psychologically difficult for kids when part of the divorce is also a change in your perceived socioeconomic status
1: geez that's that's a lot it's a lot
0: yeah you got to move to a different part of town where you can have affordable housing now you're away from your friends and you know yeah it's be very 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 painful
1: if you were to leave us with any last words of wisdom What would they be?
0: I would say you will make it. There is joy and happiness after separation and divorce. I've been divorced 10 years now and happiness comes back and and you go back to thriving. There's good days ahead and I think to Mm -hmm. yeah take a parenting class. There's so much to, to learn and I think to to keep that optimism even if it's just an act of faith to say you know I did this because it it was unsolvable and Mm -hmm. and I did it because things can be better outside the marriage so those days are coming and kids are incredibly resilient our evidence shows that kids need to be in the company people who love them those people don't need to be in the same house if they're in strong relationships at one parent's house strong relationships at the other parent's house that's fantastic that's what really matters over whether or not you're actually married or under the same roof
1: right i'd love to be a testament to that as well because i'd also love to share uh, with you that yeah i've been through a divorce myself it's been years since that's happened. And granted, I had a stepchild. So it was a little bit different. But we had a bond, we had a very serious bond together. And uh, I loved her as if she was my own. When things fell apart, it was heartbreaking just on that front. Never mind, of course, financially, you know, I was in tears for days, uh, having to have all these discussions with a lawyer that I would never want to have. And, and I felt very much that there was no way I was going to come out of this. Uh, I was just seeing complete blackness and darkness. And actually, it worked out to be better that it happened because there's certain things that went on in my life that if she would have been a part of and we would have gotten divorced later it would have been way more difficult when you get there and you're doing things for yourself you're doing things on your own you're doing things you're building a life away from this person that you will achieve all kinds of things you will get things that you will be so much happier with the fact that now you're doing it so
0: can I share just a little anecdotal story too, about my divorce? Please. Yeah. Okay. Great. My kids pointed out that when we were married and their friends knew both of us, they thought, well, of course they're a good couple. And when we were, again, we never had conflict or anything, but after we were divorced, and they started to make new friends in university and so mm. their friends were meeting me for the first time and the kid's dad for the first time the people that didn't know that we were just knew us as divorced people they're like how are they ever married <laughs> like i don't i don't even see that I, how right. is that supposed to work you know, right to your point about you know, when you're in a relationship and you're doing the give and take of a marriage mm. you do make enough mm. accommodations that there's a part of you that you purposely yeah. sort of tamp down to, to accommodate sure. the other person and that's normal and so and then when you're on your own you like sort of fully manifest some of those things that you didn't didn't do so.
1: And now all of a sudden life is amazing because you now are finding yourself even more. And there is definitely a beautiful light at the end of this yeah. very dark tunnel. Absolutely, I agree 100%. Well, great to have you here, Allison. That was inspiring. It was wonderful to learn all these tips and strategies and get your advice on these different circumstances of helping families deal with divorce. So thank you very much for doing that. I just want to thank everybody for joining this Inventive Minds Child Youth and Family Support Center workshop. I want to thank Allison Shea. Ch- for of course, for joining us today for any parenting challenges. Do visit InventiveKidsWithAZ.com website to learn about other workshops we have coming up soon. And you can connect with Inventive Minds via the email address InventiveKidsWithAZ@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thank you very much, Allison, And thank you all. And that was wonderful. Was thank great. you,
0: everybody. Thanks yeah. for coming. Make sure to check out InventiveKids.com events, as well as other parenting workshops, courses and events. Thank you.